KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. COVID-19 is spiking everywhere. Now, this is putting incredible strain, not just on our healthcare system as a whole, but on healthcare workers as individuals and as human beings. They are dealing with a lot of illness and death and heartbreak, while also seeing a portion of the population not wanting to adhere to any rules that would help make their job a bit easier. To say the least, there is a lot of concern about the impact the pandemic is having and will continue to have on the mental and emotional emotional health of healthcare workers. To talk about this, reached out to Dr. Perry Halkidis. He is the Dean of the School of Public Health at Rutgers University and had a very interesting discussion. Give a listen. So before we zero in on the work that healthcare workers are doing, let's talk about the state of the pandemic. I mean, it seems really bad. How dire is our status right now? So um, first of all, thank you for having me. The situation in the United States is uh, enormously problematic, whether you believe it's a second wave or, as I believe, it's a third wave. I actually think we had a first wave in the winter, last winter, a second wave in the summer and a third wave in the March uh, this this fall. Um, The indicators, uh, including the number of cases, just continues to escalate and break records. The cases in and of themselves are problematic. What is more problematic now is that we are seeing a huge increase on hospitalizations, on the demand on ventilators. And as a result, because this means that people who are critically ill are acquired, you know, are getting critically ill with the virus, um, we are finding ourselves in a situation where deaths are continuing to escalate. And so we are at a very critical juncture in this pandemic. And we are also in a critical juncture in so much as we are seeing a decrease in the behavioral maintenance of individuals, the ability of individuals to continue to maintain safer, harm-reducing behaviors so they don't spread the disease to those around them. And it seems to me... The entire country is basically a hotspot now. And how before, you know, you heard a lot in New York City and then you heard a lot about pockets in the South and the Midwest. We could mobilize to different areas. Everybody's in the soup now. I mean, so that just takes it to another degree. Am I being alarmist or is that what we're facing here? No, it's every part of the United States right now is being bombarded. The areas that were affected at the beginning of the epidemic, which is New York and New Jersey, they are being bombarded. You know, the rural counties throughout the country are being bombarded. The South is being bombarded. There's not a place really in the United States right now that the epidemic is not growing. I think, you know, the majority of states in, have reported increases in cases over the last couple of weeks. So it is widespread, putting a huge, huge, huge burden on the overall healthcare system. And because it is so widespread, preventing the ability of one state to help another because each state is dealing with its own crisis at this moment. And so, you know, we're going to find ourselves in places that have poor health care facilities, poor health care conditions, less access that people are going to suffer needlessly because they have acquired a disease that they did not have to get. And you talk about strain on the healthcare system, and right at the front, you're talking your doctors and your nurses. And how big a concern with you is the long-term effects 
oh, what these folks are going through. I mean, they're, you're wired a certain way to deal with death and mm-hmm. to deal with stress and all. But we're seeing things on a level that we haven't seen. It's constant. Uh, what is your concern about the, the overall mental health of people in the health industry at this point? So front frontline healthcare workers are being traumatized every single day that they go to work. They are working at, at, at long hours. They are working to try to save lives, often not saving lives. They are experiencing the trauma of having to deal with patients who can't be with their families and then patients dying. They're facing the trauma of not really being able to help people because they don't have the tools to help people. And so there is a huge burden on the mental health of those folks. And let me draw a parallel. You know, at the onset of the AIDS epidemic in the first 15 years, healthcare providers experienced the same sort of trauma. And what we saw afterwards is that many of those healthcare providers burned out. They developed their own drug addictions and other health, other mental health problems. Um, some of them died at much younger ages than they should have died. So the trauma is long lasting. It's not only in the moment, but in the long term for these people. For the nurses, the doctors, the other individuals who are working in, in the hospitals and the other healthcare facilities are being bombarded every day. And it's taking their, there's no doubt it's taking a toll on their physical well-being and their emotional well-being. And to that point, we are very big in our society of putting signs in our front lawn that we support healthcare workers and applauding and stuff like that. But when it comes to the actual stuff that will make a difference, we don't seem to care as much. How much does that we've been screaming at people to social distance, to wear a mask. And there's a segment of the population that just is not paying attention. That is proactively not doing it. Where is that another level on top that these people see this and so much, these healthcare workers see so much of this could be prevented if people just paid attention and cared. So let me, there's lots of answers to these questions, this question you just posed. The first I would say is that, yeah, no, I've, I've heard healthcare providers and I've read, you know, on tweets and other places, healthcare providers saying, don't bang your pots and pans for me, just wear a mask, right? Because they want us to do the right thing. But to your point about not wearing a mask, I think we have two kinds of people here, right? We have the people who will not wear a mask because the Trump administration has made this mask a political enemy, And so as a result, people um, um, view the mask as some kind of weakness and some kind of um, irreverence to the current president of the United States, right? At the expense of anybody's well-being and with, you know, neglecting any scientific data whatsoever. Number two are the people who are just really tired at this point, right? So look, there every single moment, I just ran out to my front door here in Newark, I went to the front door. The UPS guy was there. I ran out. I forgot my mask. I ran back to get my mask. Right. So it's like it requires an extra level of thinking. Like, you know, so it's winter. You need to you now you have your keys, your coat, your scarf, your gloves. You need your mask, too. And so the combination of the the naysayers, the ones who are neglecting science and, you know, I think actually committing a crime quite frankly, by not wearing a mask and spreading the disease are contributing to the perpetuation, but also people are just getting tired. And behavioral maintenance, as we know, is extremely difficult for people. People cannot consistently do things for a long period of time, whether it be 14 days of antibiotic or you know, five days of a week of exercise or eating well every day. It's hard for people to do. All of these, these factors come together to create the situation that we're in right now. And I can't imagine we're not going to take a giant hit as a society with people 
just walking away from being a nurse or being a doctor because of what they had to go through here. And, you know, they, they just couldn't, I don't want to say couldn't handle it. Cause I don't want to give the implication that mm-hmm. I, that they're weak, but that it was just too much and people didn't care. And why should I destroy myself if people are just going to flout regulations and all? How concerned are you about the human capital, the, the, the loss we're going to take in the healthcare industry that's going to be with us long past the vaccines yeah. and the and the pandemic because this is not something I think that okay we have a vaccine everybody's happy now. So wow, it's a great question. I mean, so I will say first of all, from a fact based perspective, schools of public health like my own have seen a huge surge in students. So public health seems to be doing all right. You know what I think is going to happen is that we're probably going to see a attrition in healthcare. I mean, people are going to be exhausted. Either they're going to stop working in that domain or they're going to potentially pass away from this disease. But I think eventually we have a new generation that's going to be dedicated to like coming into the industry. So I'm not ultimately very worried. I, what I am worried about is the delegitimizing of science that continues to go on, the delegitimization of medicine, the delegitimization of public health. And I think what we have to do, and I think this is, takes it more of a toll um, on, on people like myself, like, you know, I can deal with like the everyday burden of having to, you know, you know, face COVID all around me and all of the work we're doing here in the state of New Jersey around COVID, which is, you know, exhausting, quite frankly, there's, it's a lot of work, but to be attacked constantly because I speak out, you know, about the right thing to do and to be, you know, um, ostracized and to be demeaned. That's what's going to take its toll on our society in terms of scientists and healthcare providers and people working in the field of public health. Are there things we can do? I don't know how you fix people not wanting to believe in science, but specifically with the, the mental well-being of these people on the front lines. Are there steps we can take? to try to prevent these people from deciding it's not worth it or wanting to walk away? Are there programs, you know, things that we can do to try to push this in the right direction to at least make sure the people that are, you know, destroy are you know, hammering themselves, trying to save people that we can do something for their mental well-being. I mean, ideally somebody who is on the front lines would be able to take a break from being on the front lines and be able to get, go to their families, go get their social support, go get any, like we would could provide like, you know, in-service treatment for people. Unfortunately, because we have been so bad at handling this disease and by we, I mean, the federal government has been so bad at handling this disease. We can't afford that right now. And so I think that healthcare providers for the next few months time are going to be completely tasked with trying to keep people alive. And there's going to be very little room for being able to take that break. What I do, what I do hope, however, is the best, the best thing that we could provide them is, you know, um, to healthcare providers, the best thing we could provide them is, you know, our, our maintained behavior and our controlling the disease and our spreading the word that masks matter and washing hands matter. But, you know, in the absence of that or in the absence of a really effective vaccine, which, by the way, I understand the vaccine is, um, you know, there's, there's efficacy. It's going to take a long time before it's rolled out. Um, we're going to we're going to have a healthcare uh workforce that's going to be overly exhausted and so 
you know, send them food, send them, send them, send them candy, send them good wishes, like, you know, give them emotional support. If there are people in your family who are part of the, of that group and just realize that it's going to be really hard to take a break right now. You mentioned earlier, kind of uh, equating to the early days or much of the AIDS epidemic. Are there other examples in history where we've seen healthcare workers put through the ringer like this? It To me, and I don't want to it feels like almost a lot of these places are going through being a ground zero of nine eleven every week. And it's just, there's no end in right. sight. It's just getting worse. It are, you know, am I making too much of that or, or no. what do you think? No. And it's like, you know, it's like, I've, I've used the line before, you know, when I ask people to wear masks and make a sacrifice for a few more months, I say, you know, we sacrificed during world war two, we sacrificed after nine 11, we got to sacrifice a little bit now. And that asking, which I don't think you're making a big deal. I don't think you're over-exaggerating it at all. I think what is unique at this moment in our history, probably more so than any, any, any time before. And this has been building up for the last 30 years is this like, you know, animosity towards anything that's scientific, right? And based in, and, and the last four years, anything that's really based in fact. And I think that is a new phenomenon. You know, what is the solution to that? Well, you know, perhaps if we actually taught people, kids in schools more than reading and math and taught them social studies and science, we might not find ourselves here in a generation. But we've like, we've pushed those. What I think when I look at Americans right now who senators in like states like Alabama who can't even tell you the three parts of the government, you know, you know, people who don't understand what a virus is, you know, these very simple facts, I think are a result of an educational system that has set aside, ignored the importance of civics and social studies and science in the lives of human beings. And we're paying the price for it right now. We're paying the price because we have a generation of people who just don't know how, 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 scientific principles and don't know how a government actually works. And my final question, as the dean of a school of public health, and you talked about the surge of students coming in, what do you, what is your message to these students in this moment as, Mm -hmm. as they see people, they would hope to be colleagues or mentors for just being hammered mentally through this. What is your message to them? So my message to them is, of course, to stay strong, but also to realize, and I think this shows this moment proves it more than anything else, is that public health and uh, and politics are not separable, that public health must be rooted in activism. It cannot be practiced from behind a computer with a database, that we have to be out there fighting for, you know, legislation and policies and laws and systems that are going to, you know, uh, you know create a better healthcare environment for all. And that ultimately, you know, if they really want to make a change, then they should represent the population of our country. So our school is actually really good at being di- really great at being diverse in terms of rep- representing the population of New Jersey by attracting students who, who can go back to their communities. Right. And empower their communities with the skills and the tools that they've acquired through the school of public health. Then I feel much more comfortable that they will, will be able to elevate, you know, health in our, in our, in our country. So I tell them to, like, hold fast to be activists, to be loud, to question authority, including my authority, right? Because that's what you want. And and with that, to use their voices to make a change and, you know, to realize that their studies are more than just in the books, that real public health is happening in their lives right now in a very similar way that it did for me. Like I was not a public health person till the AIDS crisis hit. 
And that is what activated me to become a public health person. And I think it's going to do a lot of this, a lot for other students in this particular moment in history also. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 